0: Welcome to the Parent Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Chikumba. My pronouns are he, him, and his, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Lisette Trujillo.
1: Hello, everyone. Lisette here, she, her, Aya. Each week, we bring you our take on things happening in the world from the perspectives of two parents of BIPOC transgender kids.
0: It's episode 29, Lisette, and today we've got a fellow member of P-TECH. HRC's Parents for Transgender Equality Council, and one of our good friends on the show today, Debbie Jackson.
1: Steven, I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Debbie. It's going to be so good.
0: Well, let's go. Welcome everyone once again to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Let's get started. It's been quite the weekly we set. What's been going on with you?
1: It's finally sort of winter, but like for y'all, it's like you would equate it to fall, you know? It's rainy. The leaves are falling. It's 58 degrees. It's fucking beautiful. I'm thriving. It's sweatshirt weather.
0: I don't even want to hear it right now. I don't even want to hear it. We had snowed the other day. Big old flakes of snow. And you talk about it's sweater weather. It's beautiful. I am not happy right now.
1: Also... Uh, Daniel got me into Pinterest. I wasn't part of that life. Through my likes on Pinterest, I've discovered that my aesthetic is old dad vintage.
0: Okay, that's a thing.
1: Also, like black queer rapper, which I was like, oh yeah, it is a lot of Tyler the Creator. It's like all the vintage things. Nice. And so Daniel was like, this tracks, mom. And the other day we were walking at the local park and this old man walked by Literally in one of my outfits. And Daniel was like, he's got got a Mitchell Nest sweatshirt, you know? (laughs) I don't even like sports, but I've been living that life, apparently. You've got a
0: clear type, apparently, yes.
1: Pinterest has notified me of my aesthetic. Old Dad Vintage.
0: Good to know. Good to know.
1: Meshed with some hip hop. I was, I was into it. I was like, it's true. I love all these outfits. What else is going on in our lives? I mean, it's the holidays. Jose and I were working a lot. And while we've had some advocacy things that we've had to work on and like in the statewide coalitions, everyone's prepping for lunch session next month. I've been sort of like cocooning still reading, doing my thing trying to center myself so that I can show up in the world as a better person. So that's it. It's been fun stuff, you know? We got Pinterest, Christmas, and a little bit of joy, which I think we all need when things feel happy. are here, here. What about you? What do you got going on?
0: So, as you know, The Dads were released two weeks ago, and there's been a lot of positive feedback for the movie. But one of the things that I have noticed has been, the response I've received from a lot of my frat brothers. Now, if you've watched the movie, there's a section where I talk about the response that one of my frat brothers had to me sharing with him the identity of my child and what we were thinking about doing. And I was really nervous when the movie actually had a release date because I knew that frat brother in particular and my other frat brothers were going to see that part of the movie. And I wasn't sure how they were going to respond. But the response from my frat brothers in particular has been overwhelmingly positive, even to the extent that another one of my frat brothers who had a gender expansive child reached out to me privately and just said, I'm so happy you talked about this. My family has been dealing with this for some time. We didn't really know how to go about talking about it, but you've essentially given us an opening. And that really just warmed my heart to know that, Speaking out about something that traditionally is kind of taboo, especially in the Black community, especially with Black Greeks, and you know, as a fellow member of a Greek organization, how we sometimes do when it comes to how we handle our LGBTQ plus family. And so it was just really, really, really encouraging to know that the response that I was a little bit trepidatious of experiencing wasn't what I have to date experienced.
1: Did the specific person mentioned reach out?
0: Not yet. Not yet. And again, I didn't name anybody. I I may have dropped a couple colonels kernels, clues as to who they were. And if they watch it, they might be able to identify themselves. But maybe not. Maybe, you know, they're just not there. And that's fine. Again, the intention was not to put anybody on blast. when we talk about our experiences, we're talking about our experiences to share what's happened, not to shame anybody. And so my mm-hmm. intention was not to shame that individual. That individual feels shame. Okay, well, they need to grapple with why they, they said to me when I approached them. That That's on them. That's not on me. I don't have to filter what happened to make them feel comfortable. If they feel uncomfortable, they should feel uncomfortable. And then they should deal with why they mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable. And so I'm just trying to make sure that When I have those conversations with people and I have those conversations about my experience with people, like I don't name anybody and I I do that intentionally, but I do drop enough context clues that if you're that individual, you can pick it up and we can have a conversation if you want to. But if you don't want to, hey, that's all fine and good.
1: I also think too, like... I think it's great that you shared that story. I know that there were moments when of my younger self, even my adult self, like, I mean, I fuck up. I'm, I am working through biases and trying to become a better person every day. Like I'm working every day to be the person I want to be in the world. Right. And I think when I've had opportunities with my sorority siblings who I feel like I didn't show up for them in the way that I should have 20 years ago, I've had those private conversations where I can to say like i'm really sorry. I'm sorry that this happened and that we didn't support you in the way that we needed to. I think that that's healing and i think it also honors and acknowledges their experience, right? And so i'm really hoping that your fraternity brother reaches out to you and is like, "I'm sorry that i didn't show up for you in the way that i needed to."
0: That would be wonderful. That is obviously the best case scenario, but i think as i say to other people, you meet people where they are. And so I'm not necessarily holding my breath. My brother is an asshole. I have no confidence whatsoever that he's going to come around. But I can hold out hope that he will. I, again, doubt that will occur. But I can hold out hope because at the end of the day, he's missing out you know he's doing this to himself he's doing this to his family he's not doing anything to us because we're fine we have a whole nother family that accepts us as we are and doesn't expect us to be something that we're not doesn't expect us to pretend to be something that we're not and is willing to back us up 100% and so that's really why i can be comfortable and i know that that's somewhat of a privilege everybody doesn't have that everybody doesn't have that chosen family certain people get kicked out of their homes and, and that's it they end up being on the streets they end up having to survive and struggle however they can and they don't even get the chance to build a new family and to build those type of relationships that keep them whole so i do recognize that i have a a very privileged place with my relationship with my son and and our extended and chosen family so we'll just have to see how that goes
1: um i know this is about you but i have to share this story real quick daniel had this experience with like this classmate at school that was like, I see the pins on your bag. Are you transgender? And Daniel was like, yes. And then the kid proceeded to ask some really inappropriate questions. But Daniel was like, I answered and I also explained like, I'm willing to educate you in this moment, but these aren't questions that you ask trans people because it's really offensive and here's why. And so Daniel had this dialogue with this kid. And then, um, you know, they say hi to each other. Daniel's like, it wasn't malicious, mom. Like I can tell when it's malicious and when it isn't, right? And I think the experience with your frat brother, it, it was like, it was unsupportive. It was, it came from a place of like clear ignorance. Right. But I also feel like you probably knew it wasn't malicious. It was like this. Thing of like not knowing right of having a bias and so Daniel was like this kid clearly has some biases you know but I answered and, and we're cool so Daniel said he entered a like a, a after-school club the other day or something and that the kid was in there with his friends and was like hey Daniel what's up and Daniel was like hey what's up and kind of kept it moving and the kid was like that's my friend Daniel he's transgender and then started talking to the kids about it and I told Daniel and Daniel was like "It was kind of annoying but like and I told Daniel there's a difference between him saying that." our classmate daniel and that's my friend daniel and so while you feel like he should have showed up in the world better and he didn't like you've had like an impact on him as a person right like that he's saying this transgender person is my friend and whatever that means and i'm not saying like we should expect less from people but what I'm hoping is that through this movie, even if your one frat brother doesn't see it, that like your other frat brothers are like, this is my friend, Steven. This is my brother, Steven. And like, this is how we show up in the world for each other. So that's my hope for you. Because I know that that feels so heavy when you feel like these like support bases that we created are not really the support spaces that we need now.
0: Right, right. And it's interesting because, again, my frat brothers have been overwhelmingly supportive. Like, folks I haven't spoken to in years have reached out to just say how powerful the movie was, how proud of me they are, how proud of me my dad would have been. That's a conversation for a whole nother time. But just that this is happening, despite what my fear was, I think is is proof positive of exactly what you're saying, that there are people who... Are my family, are my brothers, accept and love me notwithstanding. And an interesting thing you brought up is another thing I wanted to talk about that's happened since we spoke last. Hobbs talked to me the other day about how his principal and one of the coaches for the high school team approached him to say they had watched the film or they had listened to our podcast, they've subscribed to our podcast and whether very impressed with the fact that we're doing this advocacy. This film is out there. We're trying to educate people on what's happening. And he was, of course, as nonchalant as the day is long about the whole thing. Just so nonplussed. I'm like, who are you?
1: <laughs> He's like, mm, whatever. He said,
0: I, when I tell you that the pictures from when we met the president and first lady came in and I was so excited and I was sharing it with everybody. We have this little thing called fam chat. I posted in the fam chat. Did he respond at all? Chima and Fuji were all excited. Hobbs was just like, Man, I'm like this dude. He is too- I mean,
1: Daniel had the same reaction. Daniel was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm glad it arrived. I was like-
0: Right, that's it. And then keep it moving. Like we're sharing it far and wide. I got a t-shirt made. I have a plaque I on the back it of yet. my car. Like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, but yeah, you know, these kids, whatever.
1: I do always remind Jose that the president flirted with me.
0: Listen, Jose and I will take Uncle Joe down. Don't play, okay? (laughs) Don't play. I'm team Chewy all day.
1: Jose said maybe that's the protection we need.
0: (laughs) <laughs> okay well then maybe maybe we shouldn't be taking him out okay i i take I that back
1: i was like wait a second what i take that, that back
0: no you you gotta you gotta let him flirt you gotta let joe flirt you know what i'm saying just gonna, like, give him a little something okay we won't say nothing dr <laughs> Got jill Sorry, she don't dr. gotta Biden. know
1: <laughs> we're just we're just joking joking
0: <laughs> oh my goodness Lissette. we cannot keep kicking all day we have a show to do let's do it Okay, so George Santos was finally expelled from Congress. I guess third time's the charm with this fool. Somehow, the Republicans in the House found the intestinal fortitude to finally get rid of this fraudster, this liar, this cheat. After so many failed attempts, I was surprised that they actually did it. So, bye-bye. Bye,
1: George Santos. Hasta luego. Hasta luego. Oh, my gosh. And then can we talk about that? There was a in Florida, a GOP leader, a mom for liberty founder are accused of like having group sex parties or whatever, and then have engaged in sexual assault and rape. Now, These are crazy, horrible allegations. And my heart is with the victim. There's also a saying in Spanish that says, Juzgas como eres, which translates to, You judge based on who you are. And this headline itself tracks.
0: Okay, so when you said this to me, I was just like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Because the hypocrisy in the GOP is astounding. And you have these people, these ultra right, ultra Christian, ultra moral individuals casting aspersions on anybody and everybody who is not a cis white man or woman, who is not a married religious pious individual they're concerned about lgbtq people because of the immorality of what they're doing they're concerned about lgbtq plus people because of the fact that they're imps and demons and yet you've got these people having orgies group sex and then this gop leader allegedly has sex with one of these Individuals without his wife, because that's who he was having. The moms of liberty woman is the wife to the GOP leader that we're talking about. Allegedly meets up with this woman by himself without his wife, with whom they were formerly having group sex with, allegedly, and then sexually assaults and/or rapes her. Allegedly. These are the people that are talking about how we should be raising our children. And the things that other people should be sharing with their children, like, this is crazy.
1: Or that we're indoctrinating our children, right? Like, that we're the evil people indoctrinating them and turning them LGBTQIA, which is ridiculous. And this behavior, this violent behavior, just further confirms why they are willing to go to these violent extremes to impose policy that ultimately hurts and harms our loved ones, right? Absolutely. Like this is the kind of person they are. Absolutely. This tracks.
0: Absolutely. The allegations against Matt Gates. this tracks. And again, we're talking about a particular party that has done the most damage to our society. Mm-hmm. Forget to the LGBTQ plus community because the actions of the GOP towards the LGBTQ plus community has been abhorrent, has been absolutely unconscionable and abhorrent. But if you pull out a little further, you will recognize that the things they are doing are damaging the entire society. Irrespective of how you identify, if you allow these people to continue along the way that they have been continuing, acting in the way they've been acting, our society is going to come to ruin. But people don't seem to even pay attention to what's happening.
1: Well, people have for decades continued to support their churches when scandal and allegations arise. Talk about it. Right? And so, of course, they're going to continue to vote for these people. Right? They're conditioned to look the other way. It's And so it's deeply frustrating.
0: Yes. You know? Yes.
1: It makes me want to go back to Pinterest and look at other outfits. (laughs) Because this is so (laughs) stressful. When I think about how horribly awful these people are.
0: Well... Don't go to Pinterest yet because we still have more topics to talk about. Just like this one about the conservatives who are all up in arms with their panties in a bunch over the fact that Fruit Loops, yes, we're talking about Kellogg's Fruit Loops, the cereal is offering diverse and inclusive titles to children through their online library in collaboration with a Canadian company who's made these titles available. So now conservatives believe that Fruit Loops is trying to indoctrinate children because they're giving them access to online books. (laughs) Have you ever heard of anything so ridiculous?
1: I mean, just look at, Target can't get it right either. Target pulled all the LGBTQ pride stuff off the shelves. And now conservatives are mad about disabled Santa, right? He's in a wheelchair.
0: Don't get me started about Santa. Don't, because if you show a black Santa... They That's why they're mad at Black minds. Santa. I make
1: sure to buy the little figurines in solidarity of Black Santa. And I think it's also really beautiful for disabled youth to see themselves reflected Talk about during the holidays. Like, it's so sweet. Like, I showed it to Daniel, and he was like, this is so cool that nope. Santa's inclusive. Nope,
0: sorry. Santa has to be able-bodied, because how is he going to get the wheelchair down the chimney? Okay. First
1: off, these people down to the understand chimney. that modern Santa is a marketing nope. ploy created by Coca-Cola.
0: Santa is real, and he is not in a wheelchair. <laughs> he is able-bodied, and he is white. He can only be white because if he goes to certain neighborhoods as a Black Santa, he'll be arrested. Truth I mean, positive. that
1: part. That part. Yeah. We got to not be grumpy anymore. Okay. Moving on from Inclusive Santa. Let's talk about how Janelle Monae is so influential that the Soul Train Awards renamed the Lady of Soul Award to the Spirit of Soul Award to honor the diversity and inclusivity of this year's recipient. How amazing is that?
0: So amazing. Just so you know, whatever's whatever, Janelle Monae is without question one of my favorite artists. Fire. Fire, fire, fire. And more importantly, the fact that They've raised the visibility of non-binary, gender-fluid, gender-expansive artists so high because of the stance they take, because of the people they collaborate with, because of the type of music that they do, because of their body positivity. It's just really helping me to see how influential people can really make a difference for the masses.
1: I mean, yeah. And they're fine as hell. Literally fire. Fire, fire, fire all the time.
0: All I can't tell time. you
1: how often I go to their Instagram page when they're like hosting parties and they're sharing lives. And I'm like, I just want to live there. I just want to be in that moment with everyone.
0: Fire. <laughs> oh my goodness. Lisa, did you hear about the middle schoolers who completely shut down Moms for Liberty? by telling them to stop bullying LGBTQ plus kids. Moms for Liberty thought they had such the flex because they were sharing postcards that they'd received from kids, from middle schoolers from Seattle, Washington, on their like Instagram or Twitter or whatever, or one of their social media feeds. And they were all outraged because they felt like these middle schoolers were being indoctrinated by woke teachers because they were getting these postcards that were saying gay is slay. And stop bullying LGBTQ kids and you should be ashamed of yourselves. And I'm more mature than you. I mean, these kids were just giving them the business. And instead of being like, hmm, you know, because out of the mouth of babes comes some of the truest shit you've ever heard. They were thinking, oh, these kids are clearly being indoctrinated. I was like, you people just don't get it. You just don't get it. It's not the place that you think it is.
1: No, Gen Z and Gen Alpha are petty. Like, I mean, I'm living for this. I didn't know about this and now I'm going to go look.
0: Oh, I'm going to share it with you. Don't worry. I'm going to share it with you.
1: So good. Gay is slay. Daniel would live for that. Gay
0: is slay. I was like, these kids are fire. Middle schoolers. Gay is slay. Come on.
1: Just defying authority. I live for that.
0: Listen. We could go on about this all day, but we've got somebody waiting in the wings who can tell us about how comms works, how when you need to get some messaging out, this is how you do it. So rather than talk about things happening in the world, let's get to our guest. Let's do it. Debbie Jackson is a nationally known advocate for transgender rights, who has trained schools and individuals across the U.S. on creating trans-inclusive policies to best support students. A founding member of the Human Rights Campaign's Parents for Transgender Equality Council, Debbie has been a consultant on an Emmy Award-winning ACLU documentary about transgender children, and her family is featured in the feature-length documentary, Transhood, which is available on HBO Max. Prior to her advocacy, Debbie spent 20-plus years of her career in communications and marketing for Fortune 500 companies, international nonprofits, and professional sports. Teams. Today, Debbie leverages her comms background by educating others about transgender issues and ensuring equal rights for members of the LGBTQ community through political organizing and advocacy, as well as supporting other families with transgender, non binary, and gender non conforming kids. A fierce Mama Llama who gets inspiration from hate mail and trolls, everyone, please welcome our dear friend, Debbie Jackson, to our show.
2: Welcome to the show, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: When we were prepared for the episode, I was looking through your Instagram, and I came across a post which I referenced in my introduction of you, and I just have to read it. I love my hate mail. Read that again, trolls. This is a special message for you. I love my hate mail. My first question is, where the fuck does all this feistiness come from, and can I get some?
3: I think a lot of it just comes from, you know, kind of being fed up. I don't know. I'm a Southern girl. There's a spitfire in Southern people that a lot of people don't recognize because we can veil it and sugarcoat it with sweetness. But I'm also, you know, barely five feet tall and have to deal with the rest of the world. And the rest of the world wants to push around people who are kind of little... And I'm just not one to put up with being pushed around. So I think there's just some built-in feistiness. But as far as, you know, trolls and advocacy too, I think so much of it is because I've just learned over the years that people who sit and type nasty things on keyboards and and send mail have nothing else to offer. And they're not even creative. I'm so bored with the messages after all these years because it's literally the same five or six insults over and over again. And it's not creative creative but as long as I get fresh mail I know that we're still out there people are still seeing our stuff and we're relevant and we're making a difference so you know I don't I don't have to work very hard the trolls are still helping find the message and share it so it's it's all good it's benefits bandwidth
0: what's so funny and I tell Lisa this all the time is that the opponents to gender expansive people's rights are not the most intelligent group. They're simply not playing with a full deck. And so to Debbie's point, they're never gonna be creative, more creative than those five or six insults. That's all they got. That's all they're working with. And it's so funny how small minded they are because they're the ones who are calling people on the left libtards and snowflakes. But the minute you turn around and insult them, Suddenly their feelings are hurt and suddenly you lack decorum and suddenly, you know, how dare you? And it's like, I'm sorry, were you not the ones who were just like yelling at people's children? Like, are you not those same ones who were calling people demons and imps? And now you get called an idiot, an ignoramus, things that are actually factually true and you can't handle it. It's so ironic and hypocritical and quite funny.
1: <laughs> I love that. You have been an outspoken advocate for trans rights for years and have been featured on all types of media programs and platforms. But one of the ones that really stands out for me is your appearance on the problem with Jon Stewart.
2: Was this your experience as well? Was it was it something that shocked you? Was it something that was difficult for you to accept? Uh, yes, it was completely out of my realm of understanding. I was very conservative, evangelical, you know, Southern Baptist, GOP. But at the age of four, Avery said, Mom, you think that I'm a boy, but I'm a girl. I'm a girl on the inside. And very directly told us. Um, we had no idea what that meant. Uh, again, this, it was out of our thinking. We thought maybe we have a gay boy who's confused. We thought the same thing. We went to ask questions. We talked to doctors. We, we went to endocrinologists just mm-hmm. to check the Ys, all the things. Um, and we had to come to understand that our child knew who they were. And mind you, they're 15 now. This was more than a decade ago. Right. If they weren't influenced by TikTok. They no. weren't on Facebook. Um, at four... So you're saying this is YouTube? Yeah, clearly, yeah. clearly. <laughs> maybe maybe exactly. a MySpace page. This yeah. sure. is They stumbled across. You're saying that Friendster. Yeah. Yes, exactly.
1: What effect or impact do you think that appearance had? Why was it important? Oh, that's a good question.
3: I think that episode as a whole was so important because of the pure, intelligent way that Jon Stewart approaches every subject and then he goes in and ties in humor that is going to make people think while they're laughing and laugh while they're thinking about what he's just said I was on that episode I'm proud of that episode but really the the standout piece of that episode was when he did the interview with the AG in Arkansas like people they played that first and then no one even noticed that there was more of the episode to watch because it was such a outstanding journalism. But I think it's really important when you take a subject like that and you show people through that interview what's at stake and what's happening to then also have the voice of the parents, the families, the young people themselves who are able to say how it's directly impacts them, as well as discount everything that the AG says of, oh, we have to protect them and, and they're just going in and they're getting... Hormones like they're candy, and yet we can tell our stories about everything that we saw. How many years it took to get to the point of going to seek that kind of help, and even then, that there are still so many barriers in place because the cisgender world is policing the healthcare that trans people can access on the daily. I think it's always important when you have someone who can come in with that intelligence and and just pick apart arguments one by one to still have some of the heart and soul behind it.
0: of the actual trans voices in their families. That's so true. And one of the things you just said, which struck me, was about how complicated some of these issues are. They're not quite as straightforward and easy to dissect, digest, deconstruct as we who are living it kind of understand it to be. One of the things that's difficult to understand is transgender, non-binary, gender non-conforming labels that are utilized to try to help differentiate what people are dealing with. You often refer to your child as non-binary, and I think it's important for us to kind of have a conversation about what these terms mean so that our audiences who are listening can understand why it's important to not just say, oh, I see a, insert gender here, when that person doesn't necessarily identify as that gender. Can you talk a little bit about the the distinctions between the non-binary designation from other designations of gender?
3: Yeah, I think we all understand that gender has always been presented. Okay, I shouldn't say it's always been presented. In certain societies, in certain periods of time, gender has been presented as there are two options. You got your male, you got your female, your boy, your girl. Your man, your woman, and that's that. And unfortunately, the people with that kind of binary thinking are people who were able to come in and through power and force rip apart all kinds of societies who recognize things outside the binary. But there has always been something in existence more than boy, girl, man, woman. So first we need to to establish that. But I think a big part of it is That so many of the rules that we have around gender and what makes a person feel masculine or feminine, male, female, tend to be rules that society has placed upon us. And there are a lot of people who just don't subscribe to that way of thinking. I don't think that that is masculine. I don't think that that's feminine. I like that too. I'm feminine, but I, I also enjoy these things. I feel this part of myself. That's where you can get more of the gender non-conforming, which really just means they're breaking gender rules. But that can also shift into being non-binary. And I don't want the label of either one. Within the non-binary Umbrella. There are also folks who are genderqueer, gender fluid, or agender. And as a good friend of mine says, gender bereft. Like, I love that there's this masculinity and and femininity. And some days I feel one more than the other, and I'm going to express it and how I dress and how I talk, and maybe the, the way that I walk that day. And I am so amazing. I can encompass all of your gender and even more. And that's where a non binary person might consider themselves fluid or genderqueer, like they they are just everything. They are too much. (laughs) And your gender rules are too much for me. And then there are people who are just like, why do you have gender rules? I don't get it. I don't get why you're distinguishing boy from girl because I'm not those things. And I don't really want to vacillate between trying to be one of those things for you to understand me. I don't have gender. I don't see gender. I don't feel gender. And like I said, my friend calls it gender bereft. It's, it's just missing. Like I am a whole me without your notion of gender. I don't need it. And I think that's almost where my kid has ended up over time. So yes, for many years, people know my child as a trans girl because they socially transitioned at the age of four. And the only two options they had seen presented at that time were boy and girl. And they knew 100% I am not boy. This does not work for me. So they embraced the girl side of things. I used to describe Avery as a a transgender tomboy because identified as a girl, but very much had some of those masculine interests and masculine characteristics, but would 100% say, but I'm not a boy. Don't call me that. Don't label me that. That's not who I am. Now they're at that point where they became comfortable saying, yeah, girl was cool for a while. Not where my future is, not where I want to be. Still not a boy. I just don't play with your rules. I'm not playing that game anymore. I don't have to play that game to exist. So I'm not going to.
0: I love that. And I love how you were able to kind of set the table. We've always played by these rules where there's only two. Boy, girl, male, female, man, woman. But we have to recognize that before colonialism ripped away people's traditions and cultures and language for them, there was this spectrum. There was this wide range of acceptance of the variations in which people came, and there was no need to label them one or the other. It wasn't a necessity. And I love how many of our community members are now taking that back, taking back ownership of who they are and saying, I refuse to be defined by what you think you see or what you think I should call my myself in order to make you feel comfortable. Be uncomfortable. It's okay. You being uncomfortable is okay. Just don't interfere with my ability to live my life. Don't try to strip my rights away because you don't understand me. And certainly don't simply slap a label on me because it's easier for you to do so. Like, no, we are not going to be bound by that. So really thank you for that, that insightful answer.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's so important for our listeners to hear about gender in like a more expansive way. And so thank you for sharing that. I also want to ask, too, because our show comes from the intersections, right, of, of gender, of race, of culture, our own backgrounds and understandings, nationality sometimes, too, will play a role in, in the things and the topics we discuss. You and I have talked about how non-POC people are impacted by racism In similar ways, because, you know, when you come from a conservative evangelical background, you have separated yourself from that ideology. And when people separate themselves from racial structures, from upholding racialized structures and beliefs, they get attacked the most. And so I've watched you get inundated by hate from the far right. And so my question to you, a long way to get there, was what has that impact been like for you to move from being part of a community and a belief system to needing to shift and move and being rejected by family, by friends, by community? What has that been like for you? Ooh, that's a lot. <laughs> I know.
3: I'm um, sorry. No, no, no. I, I it's good. And and I love that we do have these conversations. If people don't know, you know, we're we're friends and we are on the phone having these conversations daily just to get through everything. Um, I think one benefit is like you, I'm an introvert and introverts we're very independent and we're deep thinkers. And when you're deep thinker, it's usually about yourself because you you are critical of yourself and you always want to find ways to improve yourself. You want to learn, you want to be better. So really being an introverted, deep thinking, independent person to be able to get out of that. Like I was always the black sheep questioning stuff, you know, getting, getting kicked out of Sunday school because I was asking where Jesus's mom was. No, not her, not her. Like the real mom, the God mom. Like if there's a boy God, where's the girl mom? And like, why aren't we? why aren't we showing some love to her kind of thing? Um, and and I got kicked out because they said I was going to make the other kids ask questions. I'm like, And we shouldn't we not ask questions? Hello, religion. So, you know, like, I've always been a little bit of a ras- rabble rouser, I guess, just because I asked the questions. I'm okay, leaving people behind that are not living up to my standards. I think that's part of it, too. Like, my family your parents people think was it really hard to know that your parents want nothing to do with you anymore they consider us dead to them you know like they talk about the whole family's here except we're not so we're clearly not part of their lives not, not going to be on the agenda anytime again soon but that just makes me realize that we all elevate our parents to some godlike figure when we're kids but they're humans and they're flawed and now I can just see how flawed my parents were and I'm lucky that I got out and met really cool people who could teach me really amazing things so that I could continue working on myself to be a better person so that I don't end up like that with someone thinking that about me down the line. So I think that's part of it too. When someone isn't serving the purpose for you anymore, when you're seeing them for who they really are, when you're seeing these flaws in their character, when they are literally telling you, I will not accept your child and I can't support that you walk away and you find people to replace whatever hole is left. And those people are going to be better because you're walking into it eyes wide open. They know why you're leaving other people behind and what you're going to expect of them. And you can expect and build a real trust and a real relationship. And like I said, I wasn't aware growing up Southern Baptist, that the Southern Baptist Church was literally built on a foundation of racism. I had no idea because we were just going and, you know, doing our missionary Wednesday work and we were singing our Sunday evening pageant psalms and everything. And it was a feel good thing. I didn't know the background. Once I learned the background, I was horrified. Like, what do we do to fix this? How can I be a part of fixing it? Because I don't want anyone to ever think that I was okay with that when I was in a state of ignorance. And I think that's a a big part of it is it's fine if you're ignorant and you don't know better. But once you know better, you have. To do something and you have to be part of it and it's just a blessing to be able to meet amazing people who are willing to be open and share with me their experiences and be like no that's not how my life has been let me tell you and you just need to sit back and listen so I, I think it's hard to have people hate you but the people who hate me aren't people that I would respect anyway and they're not people I care about whether they like us or not I care about the people who are teaching me things I want to make sure I work hard and I don't let them down. They're they're the people that I, I care about and the rest, whatever, turn the channel, turn it off, save it in the hate mail folder, you know.
0: So Debbie, you said that you're okay leaving people behind if they're not on your agenda. And you recently moved your family out of Missouri after the governor signed two anti-trans bills into law, and it really was no longer safe for you to keep your family there. What was that like? And how are you adjusting to your new life, especially considering that you're still very much on the front lines of these battles for trans equality?
3: Yeah, it's taking time to adjust. Honestly, Lizette knows that I'm carrying a lot of guilt around it. And she tells me not to but I'm carrying a lot of guilt. I swore up down for years publicly said for years that because we were so visible, we would never leave, we would stay and fight. Because if we did, what message would it send to the people who didn't have the means to get out who didn't have anywhere else to go? Um, And it wouldn't it make them feel hopeless or that we had given up on on doing our part. But at the same time, you know that I have to put my kid first at some point, And I feel like for many years, a lot of the criticism I've received is you're so public, that must be hard on your kid. Put your kid first. Well, my kid was always safe at home, knew they were loved, always affirmed, working with therapists, had the chosen family. They were okay. The toll that was weighing on them, the the thing that was getting to them every single year was how many times we had to drive back and forth to the Capitol. And I don't mean Avery. Avery went a couple of times and had some really traumatic times, but just every single week my husband and i would get in the car and go and then come back and the question was what did they do today how bad was it is it going to pass and it was that stress and anxiety my child was literally sick for two or three days a week until the hearing was over and then they would feel okay for another two or three days and then another one would pop up and suddenly they were sick and they didn't understand what was happening and i understood what was happening so finally when everything passed they said I- why are we here I I just don't feel safe. It's not as bad as some places, but that doesn't mean they're not going to come back next year and do it again. I can't keep going through this. So for my own child's mental health and well-being, we had to go. That was where our chosen family is for the most part. These are the kids that my kids grew up with. I always dreamed of having kids that knew each other from, you know, the age of four and five to 50. I didn't have that. So that's been a, a real struggle. But, you know, again, for the, for the most part, it's just surreal thinking I live in a place where trans people are protected. I don't even know what that's like. I don't know how to process it. I'm sleeping better. I can watch the news without feeling my heart just like clench up and, and have chest pains, because I know I can turn it off and sit down and focus on that work. But my kid is going to be okay. So Yeah. And then I feel guilty that I can sit back and feel calm while I'm doing the work. But, you know, I think we're all going to feel that because collectively we love all of our kids. So until every single one of our kids is feeling safe and free, we're all collectively going to feel it. So it's it's just shifting how I process it every day.
1: I'm so grateful you're in a place where you feel relief. Like I had a friend post a binder that says Bill Tracker 2024. (laughs) And like, I was like, I cannot, it is too early for this. Like, it's just insane. You and your family were featured in a documentary called Transhood that is available to stream on HBO. What did you hope families and viewers would take away from this special film? And what has its impacts been now that you're able to like get feedback from families a few years down the road? Uh, Thank you for bringing up
3: Transhood. Uh, I'm really proud of that film. The reason that we signed on was because at the time even talking about trans kids was so new there were so few families willing to speak about it that any documentary anything you could find on youtube on pbs or or anything like that was a snapshot it was literally they found a family or two they went and filmed for a day or two and then that's the story that you were able to to, to see and experience and witness. But we all know that our stories are more than a day or two. Nothing happens in a day or two. Kids are not coming into themselves in a day or two. They are not coming out to parents in a day or two. Parents are not processing it in a day or two. We are not telling our families and friends in a day or two. We are not working with the schools in a day or two. We are not finding the doctors and taking them and having hormones and surgeries in a day or two. There, there is so much more. Everything with a trans kid is a long-term thing. I was excited because the idea of this documentary was to film a couple of families that had kids of different ages. So you would see social medical transition in school, in elementary school, and you know, dating, and all the different sections of childhood and adolescence. But you would get to watch them for maybe two years and then the 2-year filming turned into 5 years <laughs> and then it's you know it took a little longer so you get a little bit more of the story there so I just, I think it's an exciting piece of work because it literally shows you what families experience long-term, the ups, the downs, all the mundane in between, that there are some high points in politics and in social life. And then there are low points in politics and in our social lives. And how are we dealing with all of those? How are we coming together as families to work through all of those things? And also when it came down to you know the, the debates about healthcare and legislation, it literally 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 shows you kids at this age, it's social. And then kids at this age, it's social and meeting a doctor to establish a relationship. And then at kids this age, they have the access to some blockers and then later kids at this age have access to other things it shows it proves that everything that the naysayers are saying is complete bs and in real time real families show you what all of us to one extent or another have to go through
0: you know what's so funny debbie As a person who was recently featured in a documentary, The Dads, I too know what it's like to have cameras on you telling a story that isn't the full story. The Dads is a 10-minute short that was just released on Netflix, directed by Lucina Fisher and executive produced by Dwayne Wade. It shows... Five Fathers going on a Fishing Trip with Dennis Shepard, who was the father of Matthew Shepard, the young man who was killed 25 years ago for being a homosexual individual. One of the things that I'm really proud of with our film is some work that you actually did. And that was you helped to put together a discussion guide for folks to utilize when watching the movie and talking about the themes of that movie afterwards. And this is kind of something that you've been doing throughout your career. It's just one of the many things that you've worked on, messaging campaigns for local, state, and national institutions like Equality Texas and the NEA. But can you talk about the importance of having things like the discussion guide you created for the dads to accompany movies like the dads and even transhood?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to make sure that we have something that people can use to experience that moment in time further and to, to feel comfortable and confident going out and talking about what they just saw. Some of these things bring up really, really deep emotions for the viewer. It can be confusion. It can be empathy. It can be anger at something they experienced. Anger, not like at the parents or the families, but oh my gosh, I didn't know they went through something like that. I'm so mad, what can I do? So it's almost something that drives them to, to need a call to action. Like now, what can I do with all these emotions I have that will go out and make a positive difference for others. So having discussion guides as a way to say, you know, there is more to these stories. So here are some things to think about. This dad said one thing, but what do you think was behind that? Have you had that same thought Have you experienced something where you felt the same thing from people around you? How did you handle that? What would you have done in this situation? Because then it's not just a back and forth where we present a story and then the person takes it in. It allows them to actively participate and do something back. So that the next time they hear a conversation about something that feels a little off, it's filled with misinformation, they feel confident in saying, you know, I watched something and then I stop to think about it. Have you ever thought about that too? And do you really know uh, what you're talking about in the background? So I think just giving... Some someone guidance so that they can say yeah I've got all this stuff going in my brain now and I need somewhere to go but if they're sitting at home by themselves how do they do that well here's your opportunity think about these things go out and ask those questions but I will say it was really difficult to create this guide because I know all of your stories so well and I know all the other things that were left out and I was wanting to push people to talk about those as well and I couldn't because I didn't have the lead in so I had to sit and watch every time and be like, if I didn't know Steven and I didn't know the rest of his story... Just going by what he's saying here, what can I get to people? So yes, there should be guide number two when there is uh, the dad's two, and we can take those things and expand on it, because there is more to say and more to talk about and more to question.
0: Okay, Netflix, Um, I just want to make sure you're <laughs> listening to the expert, the nationally renowned expert, Debbie Jackson, insist on a dad's tool so she can have another tool, discussion guide created to further the conversations and the dad's three and or or four and or five, however many the series needs to be in order to get the message across that we parents are here for our children and that folks need to pay attention and not just be living in ignorance. But I digress. Lisa?
1: So I just want to gush Debbie and say like that work is so important. And it's like invisible labor that people are like, oh, I found this online. They don't know who did it. They don't know who spent the time on it. And I just wanted to gush on that because it's, it's life changing for people who feel lost. So thank you for those years of work.
0: For folks who don't know, Debbie is quite honestly the bomb because when you're seeing things that HRC puts out, when you're seeing things that Equality Texas puts out, when you're seeing things that the NEA puts out, you don't understand the amount of work that has gone on to come up with these succinct Bullet point, these one pagers, these reference documents, these resource documents. You don't understand the amount of work that has gone into them. I know Debbie has been chasing the dads around and chasing me around to put together this information. And this is one person chasing around like a dozen people to try to put these things together that ultimately make their way into the hands of other families who absolutely positively need them. And so I just have to echo what Lisette said. Y'all can't see me, but I'm putting up one of those hand hearts so that she knows that we have nothing but love for her. And now here's an actual question to accompany that long diatribe that Lisette and I were just on. Did you come to the realization that these things, these resource documents, these types of tools were necessary because of the lack of existence of those tools in your own journey? 100%, 100%.
3: Actually, one of the very first things I did, which I've never really had time to go back and update because I got busy with all kinds of other things since, was to create a website for myself. And it was because I was having to dig around online so much to find the answer to people talking about the bathroom question. And I had to find questions about, you know, is it safe to to put a kid on blockers and I had to find the questions to the at four years old, is this really a phase? How could a four year old know? Because way, way back in the day, yes, no one was talking about this. Avery socially transitioned in 2011. I was looking at resources before that and they were so few and far between that I would just like bookmark all kinds of things and then I would need to go back and find them and I would lose them because I'm bookmarking other things at the same time. So I created a website essentially just for myself that gave me a quick place to put all of these little things in tabs. I haven't really kept that up to date over the years because so many resources started coming out and there were websites created by organizations who had whole teams doing it. And then, like you said, I started working with HRC to help get the parent council off the ground. And and every year we have new iterations, we have new goals for the parent council and some of these resources that we put together through all of that work, as well as working with the NEA, that's really one of my big passion projects. We were not supported and affirmed at schools. Um, that's why I had to leave my career behind. And I had all this free time <laughs> because I had to homeschool my kids. And I wanted other families to not have to do that because it was a struggle. So I wanted them to be supported when they went into schools. I started just talking with local schools. And from there, got connected to school districts, to uh, state NEA and then the national NEA and um, was able to say, this is what we did not get from schools and educators. And this is what we really needed and what families are saying they need now. So I'm passionate about that work because one educator can impact so many kids. If a kid isn't supported at home, think about how many hours they are sitting in that school every day and they have people there and resources. And that's why they are attacking the school systems. And Lizette is brilliant about explaining why these organizations come in and attack public schools specifically. I'll leave that to you so you can go into that on another show at some point. But yes, there there was no one great centralized resource. And now there are thousands. And then it makes it more difficult to dig through because a lot of those thousands are the same thing, just copied and pasted, and they're repetitive. And then they're not really digging into those issues. Like, how do I get my kid to launch? Y'all have just been over here talking about bathrooms for five years. You're, you're now obsessed over puberty blockers. I need to know how to get my kid out the door know that they're going to feel safe. So yeah, I think as we all learn and evolve and as the world changes around us, the need for different types of resources changes and there's never going to be enough resources out there. So we all have plenty of work to do and plenty of things to to keep ourselves busy and your listeners could leave in the comments what the questions they have and what resources need and then we can figure out a way to get those things put together. I know divorced families is a big one and how you deal with one affirming parent, one non-affirming parent, as well as the transitions now from one state to another and what that does to you mentally, emotionally, and how are we helping our kids and support those changes. So there's a million ideas of other things because they're all questions we still have. There still is no guidebook that any of us could use to get all of our kids through it. We are the guidebooks. We are the ones living it. And I think that's why it's really important important that we can collectively work on these resources too.
1: What do you want families of TGNC youth to do and or know as we look towards another really intense legislative session and election year?
3: Oh, I want families to start preparing their coffers of emotional support. Because once it gets heavy, that's not the time to figure out, ooh, I need somewhere to reach out. Like do it now, it's gonna be heavy. So start figuring out what it is that is self-care for you. Find those people, let them know, I'm gonna need to lean on you. I'm gonna need to talk to you. I'm gonna need to call and cry. Make sure you have your therapist lined up. Like, you know, some of that self-care stuff, but you need to do it now. But also I think it's important for parents to really pay attention. And you can't just pay attention to your mainstream news because they are not covering this. You need to be following your LGBTQ media. You need to be connecting with your local, your state, and your regional and even national LGBTQ organizations. There are equality organizations almost everywhere you go. You could trip over them, finding them. You need to be connected and tuned in. Get on their mailing list. Throw some dollars at them. They're doing really hard work. They're doing the work that's on the ground that's going to stop these things. Things, If not stop them, prevent them from being as bad, finding ways to get in with the people who can make a shift. So support all of your local organizations, but can get, get connected with them. I have seen over the last four or five years, as these bills have been getting worse and worse and worse and spreading from two or three states to like 40, 42 that had bills, anti-LGBTQ bills introduced this last year. Because yes, even the good safe states have those bills get introduced because there are bad, bigoted politicians who want to use our kids in every single state. But you need to pay attention to what's happening, get involved, because I, every single year, see a parent in a panic that say, oh my gosh, this bill has passed? Our principal at school just sent out an email or we our doctor's office called and canceled and I don't even know what's going on. Or my teenager came and told me this is happening and I don't believe it. What do you say? And they're asking in a Facebook group. Well, no, Facebook is not where you should be getting it. You should be plugged in. It's going to happen. They're going to be introduced. You need to be able to reassure your kid if they're not really moving. You need to know if they are moving. You need to understand your legislative process in your state. I see a lot of people panic. This builds just passed. No, it passed out of one committee on one side. Of the legislature. It's not passed yet, but it's good that you're aware now. What do we do with that awareness? Let's move it into action. So really just get connected now. Bad things are going to happen. You need to to be aware, but not aware in a way that's going to make you panic. But again, make sure that you are ready to support your kid. You're not going to have an emotional breakdown in front of your kids. So let, let's build all of these things and, and just kind of have a, have a good solid foundation ready before January and February gets here
0: we are coming up on 10 years of you publicly advocating on behalf of trans people in this country. And as you reflect on your time in service, I'm going to call it, what strikes you the most?
3: I think the thing that struck me the most about all of this was just the pendulum swing and how drastic it was like man we started public advocacy because we didn't know any other families like avery had been out for two years had socially transitioned we still had not found another family like ours to get to know it was incredibly lonely and we felt so isolated and then all of a sudden people are talking about trans kids and families are coming out of the woodwork and we find community and we build community and it's amazing and then we have an administration that comes into power and they do amazing incredible things for our kids they mention trans people in speeches and they they write the words into laws and and into administrative regulations with all the different parts of the government and there's like acknowledgement and visibility is there and that visibility is power and then all of a sudden that Power causes panic on the other side, and they come back, and it's not with a hammer, it's a sledgehammer or a wrecking ball. And they are determined to do as much damage and like they are bent on pure destruction as they can get as fast as possible because they they are that desperate to hold on to power. I never thought it would happen that fast. And I used to tell people I was never a one issue voter, but now I am. I need to make sure that my child's civil rights are secured because once you have a right, it's almost impossible to have it taken away. And wow, was I wrong. Thank you, SCOTUS. We have seen just how quickly those enshrined rights have been eroded. Am I, am I was that too political? Should I not? No, say it SCOTUS? was not too political. You know.
0: <laughs> it was not too political, especially when. You can buy SCOTUS. When you can buy SCOTUS, you can take away rights. Believe that, because that's what we've seen. We've seen the trips... The boats, the houses, the lavish lifestyles that these supposedly impartial Supreme Court justices are living. And now we're watching reproductive rights go away, voting rights go away, human rights go away, all without a thought towards precedent and stare decisis. It's like, please, you can say it every day, this week, and twice on Sunday. A
1: thousand percent, because it's true. Yeah. If you could give parents of trans and non-binary youth three pieces of advice on how to support their kids. What are those three?
3: Oh, that's like the hardest question ever out of all these other intense ones. That one's hard. We shouldn't have to have three pieces of advice. It should just be basic. Love your kid and trust that they know who they are. Like, I I mean, it, that's really what it comes down to. Love your kid. Trust that they know who they are. They are not a mini me. They're not supposed to be a replica of you. Yeah, we all have the ideas of what our kids going to be when they grow up. We all fantasize about it because it's just human nature. We daydream. We imagine. But... None of that is necessarily what they want. Even our own imaginations about our own lives change periodically. We wouldn't want to be locked in to what we were thinking we wanted for our lives when we were 22, maybe even 32. So, you know, we certainly shouldn't put those expectations on our kids. So it it should be easy. Love your kids and trust that they know who they are. That could change. It could vary over time. Your job when you love them is to be there with them as they figure it out, as they try out that new name, as they see if non binary pronouns work for them, if they take a risk, and they want to wear that skirt to school, and they know that it's against dress code, but they think dress codes are stupid, you know, like go ahead and trust your kid and figure out who they are. So they can be the best version of themselves, not of you, not of what you thought they were going to be or who you think they should be. Our job is to support them. And that's it. And if you let go of everything else, that's a really easy job. I know a lot of parents get into the what are people gonna think about me? And then maybe my kid will hate me later. If you're leading with your love and your kid knows that they're not gonna hate you later, they're gonna appreciate that you were there with them and that you gave them the room to figure it out and you stood by them. So I don't know. I mean, I could probably come up with some other silly little thing if we needed a couple of other rules like go ahead when you're getting pronouns wrong and let them use the squirt bottle like you're a cat getting on the furniture. You will learn quickly enough and do it with humor. Don't Don't get mad at your kid. Let them squirt you with the water bottle and have fun, okay? They're going to enjoy it. You're going to learn quickly. Maybe that's another piece of advice, but other than that.
0: Those were perfect. We love you. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really one of the most fun conversations Lizette and I have had in in some time. And not to say that our other guests who are listening, those conversations weren't fun and good either. Don't get it twisted. But it's like when you have family come on, it's just a little different. It's just a little special. So thank you so much.
3: Thank
1: you. We love you. Thank you. Love you too, family.
0: Oh my God, that conversation with Debbie was so great. But now it's time for our recurring segment, Allies and Assholes, where we highlight individuals or groups that are supporting the LGBTQIA community on the one hand and call out straight up assholes who are trying to move us all backwards on the other. Lisa, who are we talking about today?
1: Our allies of the week are the Monarch High School students in South Florida. On Tuesday, November 28th. More than 100 Monarch High School students staged a walkout in support of their reassigned principal and to support a transgender girl volleyball player. Principal John Cecil, an assistant principal and the athletic director, were reassigned Monday while district officials conducted an investigation into allegations of improper student participation in sports. The student at the center of the issue has been fighting against this transphobic law in Florida, SB 1028, which is part of a wave of anti-transgender Across the country, that stigmatized trans youth, separating them from their peers and teammates.
0: Lisa, the fact that hundreds of her classmates left their classes to protest the removal of the principal and in solidarity with this student says everything.
1: And this is why Monarch High School students are our allies of the week.
0: Okay, congratulations to those 100 Monarch High School students. Now, on to our asshole of the week. Our asshole of the week is Senator Ted Cruz. Rafael Edward Cruz, who ironically goes by the name of Ted Cruz, introduced a bill last month that would limit the use of pronouns and names by federal employees. The Safeguarding Honest Speech Act states that the bill is to prohibit the use of funds to implement, administer, or enforce measures requiring certain employees to refer to an individual by the preferred pronouns of such an individual or a name other than the legal name of such individual. This move by Cruz who is widely known by a nickname from his middle name, Ted, rather than his legal first name or middle name, Raphael Edwards, has sparked a debate not only about the bill's impact on the LGBTQ community, but also about the perceived irony of the senator's personal name usage.
1: This bill is completely regressive and it attempts to move our country backwards and away from recognizing and respecting gender identity in federal laws.
0: And this is why Raphael Edward Cruz, a.k.a. Senator Ted Cruz is our asshole of the week.
1: Bye, Rafa.
0: I want to thank today's guest, Debbie Jackson, for joining us today. And of course, I'd like to thank my bomb co-host, Lissette Trujillo, for riding with me on these airways.
1: Thanks, Steven. You know I got you. And of course, we can't do this without all of you, our listeners. So thanks for tuning in to the Parent Advocate Podcast.
0: And folks, please be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and do all the things you've got to do to stay up to date with everything going on here at the Parent Advocate Podcast. Bye. Bye! If you're thinking about harming yourself, get immediate support. Please reach out to the Trevor Project and connect to a crisis counselor 24/7, 365 days a year from anywhere in the United States. It's 100% confidential and 100% free. You can get help at the trevorproject.org. If you'd like to support any of the organizations working actively to support LGBTQ people, please visit the ACLU at action.aclu.org or the Human Rights Campaign at hrc.org.
1: You've been listening to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Tune in again for another episode.